Hey, good morning, Willow Creek Community Church. Yeah, it's great to be with you. Welcome to all the campuses of our church, to uh, Chicago and North Shore and South Lake, Wheaton, Crystal Lake, and Huntley. So glad you're here. And all those watching online and throughout the different venues, uh, we're in our journey through John. We're asking the whole church, read this book of the Bible, this story, one of the collective stories of Jesus. This is John, one of his closest friends, writing to make sure people know this person, Jesus, was real and he was good and he was who he said he was. And when I talk to Christians, I go, hey, one of the key jobs you have, once you become a Christ follower, once you receive grace, your job, you go, what do I do now, is the Bible describes become a person who is a self-feeder. That's how Paul describes it in the Bible. Self-feeder meaning you're not dependent on somebody else to nurture your faith. You can grow your faith through your own activities. And one of the key aspects is reading the Bible and to be able to understand it, be able to apply it to your life. Which is why we said, you know, as a church, we're going to start reading the Bible together so that there's an easy on-ramp. We can begin growing and maturing in our faith. And those of you who aren't a Christian yet, one of the key questions you have to ask, it's not, you know, do you like the church or do you like the pastor or the music? The key question is, do you think Jesus was a real person? And if so, do you think he was who he said he was? God himself, the savior, the healer, the forgiver. Do you think he could possibly be that? That's the number one question to answer when it comes to Christianity. And when I'm working with people who are trying to figure out faith, they go, is there a good book to read? And I always go, start with one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. These are the four collected stories of Jesus' life, his teaching, his activity, and his message. And you read those and just ask those questions. Could this possibly be true? That's what we're diving into. And today, we're diving into one of the stories of Jesus' life. And uh, this is a little longer passage we're gonna read together. Uh, you're going to stay with me, right? Good, all right. So this is uh, one of the aspects of Jesus' life, one of the stories John wanted to make sure to share with the world. It starts this way. It's John 11, if you've got a Bible. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Lazarus is sick. And the idea of this is that it's not just a cold. He's really sick. Ancient world, you don't have the urgent care facility. You don't have the emergency room, right? So when you get really, really sick, uh, it's a crucial time. Is this person going to survive or not? And this describes three people, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. If you read through the Gospels, Mary and Martha show up a lot. Mary and Martha, you may remember them from a story. They host Jesus in their home, and he's teaching people. And then this, the crowd shows up, the house is packed, and Martha, the older sister, is running around trying to make sure everybody's cared for, everybody has food, everybody's all right. Mary's not doing anything. She's just sitting listening to Jesus. They have a little conflict. This is the same too. And you read this passage, you realize Lazarus isn't just a friend. Lazarus is their brother. And one of the things you need to understand is these three are some of Jesus' closest friends. You get the idea that their home was kind of a safe haven for him. It's one of the places he frequently goes to. Frequently goes to when there's trouble. Frequently goes to when he wants to teach. He feels very comfortable. And multiple times in this passage, John says that Jesus loved them, each of them. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus, Jesus' friend, sick. So what do they do? What do you do when you don't have an emergency room to go to in that ancient world? They did the only thing they, they could think of. Is they got a friend and said, go get Jesus. So they sent someone with the message that Lazarus was sick, and that person hurried off to find Jesus. And he did. And the Bible continues to say, so when Jesus heard, when he got the message that Lazarus was sick, what did he do? He stayed right where he was for two more days. 
And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Judea is where Bethany is, the town where Lazarus would be. Here's one of the things you see in the story. Jesus, when you read through the Gospels, you realize he doesn't act all the time like you think he would. He's not predictable. You would think that when he hears his closest friend is really, really deathly sick, you'd think he'd go, guys, we've got to leave right now, wouldn't you? And instead he goes, eh, let's hang out for a couple days. Hard to explain, right? Multiple times you read through the gospel, you go, boy, it, I can't put God in a box where he's predictable. He does different things. He waits two days, and then he says, all right, guys, now it's time. And they begin their journey back. The Bible says that when they got there, they found out that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Lazarus was dead. Uh, scholars believe that Lazarus probably died before Jesus ever got the message. Uh, so Jesus shows up. In that day and age when someone died in the Jewish uh, people, they were buried that day. They would wrap them in cloths, they'd put them in a tomb, and they would put a stone over the tomb. And then they would begin a period of mourning where friends, family, neighbors would gather and mourn with you. Jesus shows up, not before Lazarus dies, not at the funeral. He shows up four days later. Bible captures that as they're entering the town, word gets to Mary, Martha, Jesus is here. It says that Martha... When she hears that Jesus is coming, she runs out of the house to meet him. But Mary stayed back in the house. Martha goes right up to him and says to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know even now that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I know that. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? One of the frequent things Jesus says to people is he'll give them a difficult teaching like the one you just heard. And he'll say, no, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Martha, moved by what Jesus said to her, goes back to the house and says to Mary, Mary, he's here. Mary, you got to get out there. You got to go talk to him. So Mary, it says, leaves the house and walks to Jesus, and she reaches him, sees him, and she fell at his feet, and she said, Lord, if you'd been here, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her, who were also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He asked them, where have you laid him? And they said, come and see, Lord. And Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus, along with him, they go up to the tomb. They get to the tomb and Jesus says, take the stone away. And then he looks up and he says a prayer. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I'm saying this for the benefit of the people standing here that they will know that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen, a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And that's the story. Quite a story, isn't it? This is Jesus. You need to capture it. This is the end of his ministry. In your Bible, flip over two pages and Jesus is being crucified. All the parallels, don't you see them? That there's a dead man placed in a tomb. There's a stone that has to be rolled away. 
and the one who is dead comes to life. Pretty powerful, right? When I'm reading the Bible, some of the times the passages in the Bible that I read, they have action points and things to apply. And if you looked at my journals, you'd see bullet points of here's the things I'm to do, here's the things I'm to believe. Other passages I read, I end up with questions. And you look at my journal and it's not things I have to do, but questions I'm asking. This is a passage that I have questions. And so I just want, as we go through this together, I want to just raise the same questions to you that we can kind of think through. First question, first question, do you know who to call when you need a miracle? Do you know? Mary and Martha, crystal clear, Lazarus gets sick, he's deathly ill, no doctors, no emergency room, who do you call? They knew exactly. They had seen Jesus already do many miracles from feedings to healings. He'd already done amazing things and they knew Jesus is the one who can heal him. And so immediately sent someone to find him. Just get Jesus here. Do you know who to call when you need a miracle? John, when he wrote this gospel, you ask, why would this guy spend all the time and energy and money and effort to write a book in the ancient world? And he gives you the answer at the very end of this. You'll read it when we get to the end. He says this, I'm writing all these things so that you will believe. Believe that Jesus was real that he was the savior, that he was the Messiah. I'm writing these so you know who you can call on when you have need. I'm writing these so you know he's the one, the one you've waited for. Do you know who to call when you need a miracle? Now, something I'll tell you. In your life, if you haven't already, you'll come to a place where you need a miracle. Either an answer for a medical problem or a relational breakdown, someone you love is in need, or you yourself are in need. And you'll come to a place where you are, I need a miracle. And the question will be, do you know who to call on? Do you know who to pray to? Can I tell you in my life, I've had a front row seat to God's activity in the world. Maybe you have too. Time and time again, what I've seen is God reach out of heaven and answer prayer in miraculous ways. And I go, I know who I will call on in those moments I need a miracle. Do you? Have you had... The moments in your life where you go, I can trust him. Not that he answers every prayer exactly as I want, but he is a powerful God still at work in our world. Do you believe this? I do too. Which confounds me when I hear Christ followers saying some of the weakest prayers. Do you ever hear this? Some of the times in their greatest need, I go, where's the bold prayer and the faith and the belief? Where's the time where you go, I need God, and not that I control God or you, but my job, the Bible describes, is to pray bold prayers in his name in the hopes that heaven will unleash its power to heal. Yes? So can I talk to you just on prayer for a minute? Because many times in the Bible, you see them trying to educate me. I just want to teach you on this. For me, when someone says, hey, I've got a health issue, the prayer I pray, I go, God, we need a miracle. And either you reaching out of heaven and miraculously healing or the medical means be given to heal them. God, we don't care. We'll give you credit either way. But God, would you restore this person's body? Would you heal them? Would you give them many more years of life, God? Would you do this? And I just pray boldly believing that God will. Some of the times it's a marriage and someone will show up and they'll just go, we're done. We tried, it didn't work, marriage is over. And you can see they have so little hope in this. And I'll just ask, are you, are you willing to let me pray for you? 
And I tell them, how I'm going to pray is this. I'm going to pray that God would do the miraculous that you don't even think is possible. That God himself will restore your marriage. And I love to pray years from now. I'll pray many years from now. My hope is that when you're old, really, really old, and in the old folks' home, you're sitting in rocking chairs together, holding hands, smiling talking about what a great life you've had, and your grandkids are around you marveling at your marriage. That's what I'm praying for. Because if that happened, you'd look back and go, it wasn't because we were great spouses. It was because God himself did this. Many times someone will come up and they themselves struggle with an addiction or their child or a spouse is struggling with an addiction. And I'll just pray a bold prayer that God would free the person, that they're in bondage to this that they would be freed from it, that whether it's through a program or through a therapist or just a miraculous move of God, that they would be freed from this. No more bondage. That gap, that hole in their life that they filled with an addiction would be filled instead with the hope of Christ and the love of Christ and the peace of Christ. And that their life, years from now, they'd look back and they would be one of the people who would bring healing to others who struggle with addiction. Just pray a bold prayer. God, whatever means, we'll give you the credit. Financial. Some of the times people have such a financial burden on them that it just feels overwhelming. And I'll just pray to the God who's the provider that there'd be miraculous provision, whatever means necessary, that the person would see his hand of provision in their life, that they would be freed from debt. They'd find a program to help them have better practices, but that later in life they'd look back and go, did you see what God did? Do you pray bold prayers like this? Can I invite you to begin if you're not? Both for you, but also for the ones around you. Not that you control God. Our job is only to pray bold prayers while we're here, yes? Now let me ask you one other side. You pray the bold prayer. What do you do then when you're disappointed with God? What do you do when you're disappointed with God? Now, let me tell you, if you're a Christian, I guarantee this. At some point, another Christian's going to disappoint you if they haven't already. At some point, your pastor is going to disappoint you if I haven't already, just so you know. At some point, the church will disappoint you. If it hasn't already, it will. And those all hurt. And those are all tough. What do you do when it's God who disappoints you, though? How do you get through that? See, the truth about Mary and Martha is this. They knew who to pray for. It was a bold request, but they had confidence Jesus could have answered that prayer. And they sat next to Lazarus as he was so sick, and they said, just hold on. It's a little more time. He's going to be on his way. He'll be here. And they watched as he declined, and as he struggled, and then as he stopped breathing. And they wrapped him and they buried him and still know Jesus. And they wept for their brother. One day, another day, another day. And then he showed up. Do you hear the disappointment in their voice when they go, where were you? Where were you? Where were you? Truth is, In my life, at least, and I would imagine in yours, if you're a Christian long enough, there will come a point where you ask that question of God. God, where were you? 
Were you asleep at the wheel? Were you not paying attention? What happened? And what do you do with it when it's God that you're disappointed with? When I get into the lives of Christians whose faith has died, basically, if they're vulnerable and honest enough, they can point back to a time where they prayed a bold prayer and needed God, and nothing happened. And that disappointment they never dealt with, and it wrecked their faith. It killed their faith, basically. And one of the keys for you as a Christ follower to get through this life and have a vibrant faith all the way in is you have to know, what do you do when you're disappointed with God, when he's the one who disappointed you? Uh, I, I know in my life and my faith, if you go through, there are multiple times where I was disappointed with God. I'll invite you this morning just into one, just one moment, but um, it was a moment my wife and I, we felt prompted to become foster parents about 20 years ago. And full confession, I was in my 20s, I was young. I kind of thought this would be kind of a Disney movie, right? It was not. So one of the kids, I had a moment to see just a glimpse into what happened to this kid that would cause them to be pulled from the home and put with us. And when I read the story, it wrecked me. And in my prayer, very similar to Mary Martha was, How could you not do anything? How could you allow a kid to go through this? Where were you? And I was a pastor at the time, right here. And I would sit on the front row and get up on stage and do pastoral things. But I realized just a few weeks into it, I was struggling to sing those songs like the ones we sang today. Those songs about God's goodness and his greatness and his power. I was struggling. I realized I just sat there. I wasn't going to sing them. And thankfully, because I was becoming bitter and cynical and angry, thankfully I had a really good small group, group of guys who saw this and they just called out and said, Steve, we're not going to let you go down this path alone. You got to get help. And our church was able to direct me to a a good Christian therapist who asked great questions. I also had a spiritual director. You know what that is? It was, it's kind of a person who understands all the different spiritual practices and theology to help you in moments like these, just to grow your faith. And in this, I was sharing with this spiritual director kind of all I was going through. And she asked a question. She said, well, have you told God how you're feeling? And I said, of course not. And she said, well, you know he knows, right? And it just felt like me saying it would somehow offend him or something. And she just encouraged me. In fact, she pointed me back to the story we read. She goes, Mary and Martha were so disappointed. Do you notice they went straight to Jesus and said, where were you? She goes, did you notice, Martha sounds quite angry. Where were you? To his face on the road before he gets to the house. She said, Mary shows up, totally different tone, but you notice it's the exact same words. They both say the exact same sentence to Jesus. One is angry, the other is weeping. She said, where are you? Where were you? If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And she said, Steve, can you take their example And just show up to God and share the words you need to say and the emotion you need to show. And just see what God will say. Basically said, do you have the guts to do that? So I talked to my wife. This is before we had kids. Said, I'm going to go in the backyard tonight, fire pit, and, and it's just me and God. And we'll see what happens. And so I sat there for quite a while telling him how I felt. I was angry. I was mad. I was disappointed. I was hurt. And I got to a point after a while where I just had 
I was just out of words. There was nothing left to say. I was exhausted. And I just sat in quiet. And, uh, and then something happened that I didn't expect. See, I grew up in a little church in Missouri. And back in the 70s, one of the things they would do is uh, uh, we had Bible memorization things. And with the kids, they would quiz us different Bible memory verses. And as kids, when we figured this out, that we got a prize if we had verses memorized, we went back and tried to memorize the shortest verses in the Bible. Anybody else do this? Yeah, which, by the way, we read earlier the shortest verse in the Bible. Did you catch it? Yeah, yeah, you did this too, right? Yeah, Jesus wept. Yeah, if uh, if you've never memorized one, well, you got one. There you go. So, <laughs> Jesus wept, and it was funny as a kid because you know you'd have these adults who'd say, "Let's hear a memory verse," and we'd all scramble. Who can say Jesus wept first? Right, get one, and uh, and in that backyard, around that bonfire, when I had no more words to say, that verse that was a joke as a child came back. Jesus wept. I had wept for this kid, and that night I was weeping for this kid again, and I was reminded Jesus wept, and the word I sensed God saying to me was, Steve, you realize you're not the only one weeping for this child, right? And then I sensed him saying, you know, Steve, I've wept over every kid, and every suffering, and every loss, and every pain, right? I've wept over all of them. And even, Steve, by the way, you've done things that have hurt people. You've said words and done things that have hurt people. And by the way, I wept over them too. Steve, you're not the only one who weeps for this kid. And, and the idea that I needed was this. I had begun to wonder, maybe God doesn't actually care for the world. Maybe he's this distant God that put it all into play, created it, and now said, let's see how it all turns out. Maybe he didn't hear prayers, or even if he did, maybe he didn't respond. And then in that moment, I realized we had a good, loving God who cares desperately for us, who weeps over the pain his creation, his children, inflict on each other. And that, for me, was what I needed in that moment. It's what I needed. See, this is the thing about God. If you'll engage with him long enough, if you'll read the Bible, if you'll pray, if you'll listen to him, I believe he will speak to you in just the way you can hear. And I would tell you, God knows me so well. He knows exactly how to talk to me, exactly how to say things to me, exactly to tell me what I need in that moment. You notice, right, that Mary and Martha, when they went to Jesus, they both said the exact same sentence. But did you notice that Jesus didn't respond the same way to them? To one sister, he gave a theological discourse that raised her spirits. To the other sister, he just wept and didn't say a word. I believe God knows you so well that if you'll trust him with the pain of your life, if you'll be honest about where you are and what you need, I think God will speak to you in a way that you'll understand and he'll tell you what you need to hear in a way that you'll get it. See, this is the thing about these moments of disappointment. If you don't handle them right, they will shipwreck your faith. But if you'll go to God, if you'll open yourself up to him, if you'll be courageous and vulnerable, I believe what will happen is that God will show aspects of his character and his nature to you that you did not know. See, these moments of disappointment are incredible opportunities to see new aspects of God himself. If you'll do the right way. If you'll be courageous, if you'll be vulnerable, 
If you'll trust that he'll speak to you, I think he'll show you new sides of who he is. He'll do that. And here's the other thing. If you've got disappointment from your past and you didn't handle it right, and you go, man, my faith died. It's way back in the past. Can God do anything? Don't miss this. God loves to take something that's dead and bring it back to life. If your faith got shipwrecked a while ago and you go, it's been flatlined, can he do anything? Don't miss the hope that he can resurrect your faith just like he did Lazarus on that day. He loves to turn a funeral into a celebration. He'll do the same for you if you'll just have the courage and the guts to trust him. All right, last question. And this is the point of this, the whole story. Here's the question. Do you have confidence in your ending? Your life on this planet will have an end, yes? Yeah, we don't like to talk about it, do we? And do you have confidence in what happens after that ending? What Jesus was trying to teach through this story, and not just the story, but the experience with his followers, is this. They will have an ending as well, and he wanted to show them that they could trust that he was the one who had power over the grave. He was the one who would heal them and resurrect them and give them new life. Do you trust? Because the truth is, we all have an ending. The great philosopher Charles Barkley said it so well. Father time, he said, is undefeated, right? Now, Charles Barkley was talking about his basketball career at the time. He was coming to the end, and everyone's saying, how many more years will you play? And his body was breaking down, and he said, Father time is undefeated. But the truth is, while we don't like to think about it or to talk about it, we will all have an ending. When Jesus did this miracle, he was doing it for his closest friends and disciples. They were the ones that were in the audience. Every one of those except for John, all of his disciples except for John, would die an early death for the cause of Christ. History captures only John lives to old life and die of natural causes. The rest all died at the hands of others in the name of Christ. Jesus wanted them to know, your end is not the end. You can have confidence there's life beyond this one. You can have faith that there is more to life than just this right here. One of his teachings you'll get in when we keep in this study, he says this, he describes heaven. He goes, don't let your hearts be troubled about the ending, he's saying. Don't be worried about death. Don't be overwhelmed by the fear of it. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, he says. My father's house has many rooms. He's describing heaven. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus is describing a promise, a promise. He's saying this. Jesus goes, I'm going to die first. I'm going to go to heaven. And you can be convinced I'm preparing a place for you, a new home, a home in the mansion of God, a home designed just for you, a room with your name on it. Don't worry about death. Trust in me, Jesus says. Your eternity is secure. Do you, this is the question, do you thus have confidence in your ending? See, the Bible describes this, that all who believe Jesus was who he said he was, who receive grace and who put their trust fully in him, they can be confident that heaven is secure for them. But if you go, hey, Steve, truthfully, I don't know if my eternity is secure. Tell me how. 
Simple process. Bible says, start with belief. Do you believe he was who he said he was? If you're not sure, again, dive into the study. Do the research. Try to figure out, was he real? Was he the savior? Did he actually do these miracles? Can you trust that he overcame the grave? Do you believe that? If you do, is that all? There's one more step. You go, then you receive it. And the idea is that, that you offer up a simple, humble, sincere prayer to God, just going, I believe this. I need grace for all the things I've done wrong. I receive what you did on the cross as payment for sin. And I trust that what you did overcoming the grave is the promise for me of eternity. You say that simple prayer and God hears it. He does. The Bible says that he seals that decision in your heart and soul and your eternity is secure forever. You can have confidence in your ending. I hope you do. I hope you do. Now this whole story is about a miracle of God. A miracle to build faith. To build trust. But I realized as we were preparing for it that many of you walked in the doors of this church this morning and truthfully in your life you need a miracle. Maybe it's a physical health issue. Maybe it's a struggle with mental health. Maybe it's an addiction. Or maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's not for you. It's for someone you love. And you, boy, they need a miracle. Maybe it's a financial issue. And I thought it'd be wrong to just send you out without praying for you. And I sense that I, I kind of want to do something different, which is always a risk in a room this size. But I'd like to pray for you specifically. And so what I'd ask is this, that if this is you, you go, yeah, I've been listening to this. I go, I could use a miracle. Hey, and one other thing, maybe the miracle is, is you go, I had a disappointment in the past and I need, I need my own faith resurrected. But if you have any of these and you go, I could use prayer today, I'm gonna invite you, would you just stand up right where you're at? Just stand up in your seat. Skip, I need a miracle. I could use help for my marriage, for my kids, for myself. Would you just stand? And what I wanna do is just pray over you. And some of you know that when I pray for people, many times I like to look them in the eye. And so I'll just ask that while we pray, we just do this prayer, eyes open, okay? So let's pray. Now, God, yeah. God, I don't know every story here, but you do. You know the need, you know the pain, you know the desperation. So God, what I'd ask is that you would look down from heaven and every heart and every life here, and that you respond to their need. God, for those who are struggling with a physical need, they need healing. God, would you show up for them? God, whether it's through medical means or the miraculous, we don't care. Whichever way it is, we'll give you all the credit, but God, would you reach out and heal them? God, for struggles of mental health, God, would you heal again, whether it's through the medical, whether it's through help with a therapist, whether it's through miraculous. God, heal and restore them. God, for marriages that are struggling, this is what I'd ask, God. Would you replace despair with hope? Would you replace anger with love? Would you replace hurt with forgiveness? And would you unite the two and give them a great marriage? Years from now, God, let them look back and go, look what God did in us. God, for those struggling with financial issues, the burden and the fear and the weight, the anxiety, God, would you be the good provider for them? Provide miraculously. Show yourself to be the good father. 
Help them get through if there's debt issues. God, lead them to people who can help with that, to help get a better plan together so they'd be released from that burden. And God, what I'd ask is years from now, they look back and go, look at the hand of God, the good provider. Look how he got us through this. God, for the ones whose faith got disappointed and shipwrecked years ago, give them first, God, the courage, the courage to go straight to you. Help them to say what they need to say to you, God. And then, God, would you speak to them in a way that they would know the God of the universe in that moment is with them and near to them and loves them. God, we love you. God, what I'd ask is that you show up powerfully in every life here, everyone who stands. Hear their prayer, respond to them in a way they know you're real and you're good and you're loving. Father, this is our prayer. We prayed this now in the name of Jesus, the one who can do the most miraculous things. And all God's people agreed and said, amen, amen, amen. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you stand up? First, thanks so much for coming to church today. If you need more prayer, our prayer room's open over there. If you want to get more connected to the church, either in a group or serving, our welcome center's over there. If you go, hey, I want to jump into this journey study through John. We're out of books, but you can download a digital copy. Go to the website. We'd love to have you join us. And if you fell behind, tomorrow's day 11, the start of week three. So jump in with us. Jump right back in and see what God may do. Yes? yes. Yeah. Thanks for being at church. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you back next weekend. Take care, everybody.